0: Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious.
1: A very good Sunday to you food lovers, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio and delighted to be as always every Sunday throughout the year and celebrating 15 years of fabulous food in your radio. If it was your 2016 New Year's resolution to become a better cook, to be fearless in the kitchen, to build your skills or master new techniques or cook with confidence, well, then this show is for you. You've tuned in to the coolest culinary conversation on the radio. And I like to say, if you love to cook or love to eat, then you are definitely in the right place. I hope that you will continue to tune in every Sunday and check out chefjamie.com. For thousands of recipes and delicious inspiration, and become a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. We have a full and exciting show today, and I'll tell you all about what's on your plate coming up. But I thought I'd kick off the conversation with a tutorial of sorts on compound butters. I recently met a chef in New York City who's making a beer-flavored butter by churning butter with a local brewery's IPA. And he pairs it with a soft pretzel on his bar snacks menu – Sounds really delicious, right? At STK Steakhouse, diners can choose from a menu of premium steak butters, that pat of mole butter or marrow butter or lobster butter or even blue cheese butter melting into the top of a sensationally seared steak. And then how good do house-made cheddar bacon biscuits with chipotle maple butter sound? Yum, right? Well, I'm happy to tell you that butter is back or better yet butter has been reborn. Butter has always been a great flavor carrier due to the simplicity in which you can incorporate flavor. And of course, it gives you that satisfying mouthfeel. And you've heard me say it over the years, I do believe that butter, bacon, and beer in moderation, of course, make everything better. But compound butters are a wonderful way to add flavor to steaks or chicken, to veggies, to bread, and more. There's nothing like that pat of butter that's melting away on top of something you're about to sink your teeth into. And when you add a few flavorful ingredients to good quality butter, you have in essence made a compound butter. Now, compound butters are an easy, practical way of sort of layering on the goodness. You can add fresh herbs or aromatic spices or a little kick or a hint of sweetness to make a compound butter. And here are the simple tips, tricks, and tools. You start with fresh room temperature butter. And remember that butter is based on the quantity or percentage of butter fat to water. So you'll pay a little bit more for European quality butter, but you will get more intense, rich, fabulous flavor and a better mouthfeel. So buy the best butter that you can afford and always keep those sticks of butter in a resealable plastic bag in your fridge because no matter their wrapping paper or foil, they tend to absorb flavor from your refrigerator, and it's really the best tip I can give you. Whether it's refrigerated or frozen butter that you're planning to use, it is best to keep it airtight. Now, you place the fresh room temperature butter when making a compound butter either in a mixing bowl, or you can use the bowl of your food processor, um, which is really simple, or you could use your stand mixer with a paddle attachment, and then you compose your flavor. So you, of course, have a ton of options, uh, but I think that you should limit yourself to two or three flavor additions. Like, for instance, if you're doing herbs, you could go uh, shallot garlic or you could go uh, scallion citrus. And, of course, you want to mince the herbs before adding them to the butter so that you get a really good, smooth consistency. Now, I do add salt to my compound butter. A little bit of fine sea salt really helps bring out the flavor of all the ingredients. You can add liquid, uh, preferably acid because it does add a nice balance to the richness of the butter. Vinegar, but even better yet, um, citrus juice blended in a few drops at a time will make a, a beautiful, let's say, chipotle orange butter. And then a touch of sweetness is always yummy, like a sweet compound butter where you add honey and then you put it over waffles or um, sage and honey is really beautiful on fish, by the way. Now, I do have some favorite flavors as they go or flavor combinations, I should say. Like I love um, gorgonzola scallion steak butter or uh, mustard peppercorn or tarragon tequila, Or just one ingredient, roasted garlic along with butter uh, oozing over a steak. Very delicious. You can actually reduce wine or port down and make a cabernet butter as well. You want to reduce the liquid down to a glaze and then slowly drizzle it in. Really, the opportunities are endless. And then once you've combined the butter and your flavors of choice, you blend well. You might do it by hand with a soft spatula. You might do it in your food processor or your, in your stand mixer, however you like. Now, you always want to wrap the but- butter up tightly. I put it in the center of a sheet of uh, plastic wrap, or you could use parchment paper. And you roll the bottom half of the paper over the butter to form a log. Then all you do is twist the ends and you refrigerate the compound butter until it's hardened. It takes about two hours. And then it'll keep in the fridge for at least a week. You can even freeze the compound butter for a month or so and you'll still have really fabulous flavor. You can also, if you prefer, spread the flavored softened butter into a ramekin and set it out for bread service when you're ready as well. Now, when you're ready to serve the compound butter or to use it to finish a dish, if it's in the log form, you'll take it out of the refrigerator or freezer and you'll slice coins essentially so that you can pat That compound butter on top of something warm and eat those melt in your mouth results. Now, once again, The possibilities are endless, but it's always good to use up leftovers to make a compound butter, like the last few leaves of basil in the container mixed with other herbs and made in advance. You always have that really wonderful, flavorful impact next time you're grilling a steak. Now, as I mentioned, I do have lots of favorite flavors, but my current favorite is a sriracha and honey butter. You blend unsalted, good quality butter with good honey and fiery sriracha. And then you grill or bake or roast some chicken. And when it comes out, you let that sriracha honey butter just melt over the top. You could put it on a breakfast sandwich on a biscuit or serve it for dinner over waffles. And the only thing left to do is invite me over <laughs> you can find compound butter inspiration once again posted at chef so please do check it out all right it's time for food news because foodies should be in the know everybody that knows pocky loves pocky right it's that thin pretzel biscuit snack that comes in a stick and it's partially dipped in chocolate and it's sold in whimsical boxes at your asian supermarket well The company that produces the bulk of Pocky sold is called Gilco. And they are set to release a limited edition flavor of Pocky that will leave you blue. Yes, you heard me right. You can now get your hands on a special blueberry Pocky. The biscuit stick is dipped into a special blueberry chocolate that gives it a bright blue color. And then in keeping with the close to Valentine's Day release... The snack also features a subtle heart shape at the top where it cross sections. Pocky fans, you are familiar with the traditional chocolate flavor, but you can find strawberry, white chocolate, and green tea as well. So now you are in the know. And don't touch your dial because there's more fabulous food in your radio coming up. Right after the break, Kenji Lopez-Alt is stopping by. You know his food pros from SeriousEats.com, And he's taking us inside the highly anticipated release of his first cookbook, the food lab plus brian eskew of twin eagles barbecues is talking fire and smoke a little later in the hour and harley pasternak trainer to the stars is sharing fitness goals and solutions for 2016 if you love to eat well then you have to work it off chef jamie gwen in your radio with more delicious conversation right after this Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio, inspiring extraordinary dishes for 2016. So you might ask, how does an MIT grad become a culinary authority? Well, Kenji Lopez-Alt is the managing culinary director of SeriousEats.com, and his James Beard-nominated column, The Food Lab, took off like wildfire, launching a blog of part mad scientist and part cook. He's been called the most important recipe developer to come along in a generation. And his recipes take the simplest and most loved dishes like a hamburger or chicken soup and get broken down to understand the why and how. And in turn, Kenji says that he can teach you to be a better cook by mastering the scientific foundation. Hundreds of new recipes and lessons can now be found in his highly anticipated first cookbook release, entitled The Food Lab, and Kenji is here to share his wisdom. Hi, Kenji, and congratulations. What a work of art this book is. (laughs) Thank you. I'm sure that um, it's many years in the making and i love that you guarantee that you can improve our cooking and creativity so if you would tell us the science behind your promise and a little bit of your story as well
2: well so the idea is that um you know cu- cooking um from a recipe um it's really it's really sort of like if you you know if you get a map and you all you get is a turn by turn directions to get you from point a to point b that'll get you from point a to point b but it it doesn't really tell you anything about the bigger picture and sort of a, a better way for you to be a better driver is for you to get the full map and for you to understand hmm. what all the sort of alternate routes are and what the ins and outs are and, what, and what other possible destinations you can go to. And that's sort of the idea behind learning the techniques and science behind cooking is that it sort of opens up the paths for you so that you can really um, take, you know, take existing recipes or take dishes that you love um, and take them and take them in your own direction. And so it, you know, for me it's like um, understanding the techniques and the science is really sort of an empowering thing in the kitchen um, that, that puts you in control of the recipes as opposed to the other way around. Um, you know, and it was something that I, 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 I you know, my, my background was in science. Um, um, ever since I was a little kid, you know, I was going to be a scientist. My, my, my father and my grandfather were both scientists, and it was sort of just the path that I was going down. Um, and then uh, during college, um, one year I realized, you know what, like I'm not really in love with, um, with uh, the actual day-to-day work of a scientist, um, I, I was I was working in biology labs at the time, um, and as much as I loved biology, I didn't love the lab work. So I, you know, so was sort of lost. I, I decided to to take a summer off of academic work, um, and you know, accidentally, basically, accidentally, ended up working uh, in a kitchen, uh, mainly just because I was in the right place at the right time, and somebody needed a cook, um, a <laughs> uh, prep cook with minimal experience. I had zero experience. So I was qualified there. Um, and uh, and I spent the summer working in a restaurant, and and it was the funnest summer of my life. And so I've, ever since then, I was sort of you know I, I followed restaurants. Um, I went to restaurants full time after graduating college, um, and then you know eventually I decided you know what, um, I, as much as I love working in restaurants, I still do miss a lot of the science behind it. So what could I do to combine the two? Um, and uh, and you know that sort of eventually ended up leading to the food lab. Um, in, yes. you know, in, I I spent a few years working as an editor at Cook's Illustrated magazine, um, which also focuses a lot on the science of cooking. Um, For sure. That's sort of where I kind of, you know, earned my writing chops. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah. Hmm. And, and you've again, come a long awesome.
1: way since there. Um, <laughs> I think it's really fascinating, and, um, and I know there's a, a lot of humility in it. I love the Food Lab because I think it speaks to the novice and the connoisseur. You don't have to uh, know how to make a foam or be deeply rooted in molecular gastronomy to understand how to make better mac and cheese. And so as much as I appreciate the nod of praise that you receive from Nathan Mirvold, and I love modernist cuisine, uh, that is the more outlandish, far-fetched, Um, would love to learn it, fascinating to look at it, probably never make it concept to me. And mind you, it's not a put down. Uh, Nathan and his team have graced this program. I love the ideas. But what you do is much more deeply rooted in the elementary basics of what we love to cook, especially from a comfort food standpoint. And I think that's why I best relate. And I think that's why your followers have become far and wide.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, part of the idea for, for it came from, you know, I, I, I'm the managing culinary director at serious eats. Um, and serious eats has always had this philosophy that, you know, if we're going to write about food, it doesn't matter if it's the fanciest food in the world or the most common food in the world, we're going to take it all equally seriously. So, right. you know, when we, when we review a restaurant, we're going to take a you know a forty dollar a plate white white linen tablecloth place um, seriously, but we're also going to take the hot dog stand down the street seriously, and um, you know because food is food and and you can you can enjoy it whether it's fancy or it's simple. Mm. Um, so you know I, I, I did want to take that sort of same approach to the to cooking that you know knowing understanding f- food science is not just about making fancy food and it's not and it should be something that you know brings people together, not not something that you use to sort of. Separate yourself. Separate you know, I, the I masses. Is a, this sort of like scientific, scientist elitism. Um, and, and you sometimes see it if, with professional scientists that, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of a scientific snobbery.
0: Hmm. Um,
2: but, but you know, science can be applied to everything. And, it, and yes. it's something that um, I think, as, especially as a home cook, um, the, the kitchen is the, the easiest place to do science every day. Because, you know, you're, you're already in a world where you're using the sort of same ingredients every day. You're you're using a scale. You're using a measuring cup. It's just a very easy place to to carry out relatively inexpensive science uh, science experiments. And, you know, and and then it hopefully makes your food better in the process as well.
1: Yes, and and for sure it has. Because as you break down some of these um, dishes for us, if you don't mind, it will be our Mm -hmm. own sort of personal Sunday science experiment. Um, (laughs) Can we talk fried chicken? Like super crispy ultimate fried chicken and if you'd give us a couple of uh, tips and tricks along the way because i have a couple of other uh weeknight standards we should get to as well
2: yeah there's well there's a few there's a few trips uh, tricks um what what the first one is is um uh in the marinade um and when i'm marinating my fried chicken um i make sure to put um, quite a bit of salt in it um and the idea is that you know adding salt to the marinade it makes the marinade act like a brine um and what, you know, what that does, the salt will actually, over the course of um, 8 to 12 hours or so, will actually break down the chicken muscle protein so mm-hmm. that as the chicken cooks, um, rather than squeezing really tightly and, and squeezing out all its moisture, um, once it's been treated with salt, it actually squeezes less. Um, it's, it's the same idea behind brining uh, a turkey before you roast it, and it works really well with frying as well. Um, the, the other trick I use is that... Um, most people, when they bread their, fried chicken, their chicken for frying, um, what they'll do is they'll maybe soak it in buttermilk, maybe soak it in like an egg and milk solution, uh, and then toss it in flour. Um, what I find uh, makes it sort of extra crunchy is if you take some of that, um, the wet marinade, and mix it into the dry ingredients. Um, I use a combination of flour, cornstarch, um, with a little bit of um, baking powder, uh, as well as some, obviously, some spices and seasoning. But if you take some of the liquid ingredients, and work them into the dry ingredients with your fingertips just to form a little clumps. Um, those little clumps will add sort of extra extra surface area to your chicken when you bread it. Um, so hmm. your your chicken comes out extra crunchy. And How then the one the one real trick, um, and this this is the real uh, sort of important one, is if you have the patience um, and you can fry your chicken one day and then not eat it and then let it sit overnight in your refrigerator and fry it again the second day, um, it'll come out much more crisp um, while retaining its hmm. while retaining its internal moisture. And, yes. the, and this works, you know, you, if, if you go to like. Popeyes, or anywhere you get fried chicken, fast food, it doesn't matter. Anywhere you get fried chicken, if you get extra fried chicken, leave it in your fridge overnight, and then fry, fry it, it at home again. the next day, it'll be better than it was the first day. Sort of
1: like the double fried <laughs> duck fat French fries that one cannot get right. an, enough of. I think the concept's brilliant. Um, talk to us about the humble hamburger, please. You make a smashed hamburger, if I read it correctly. I, I do.
2: You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not a hamburger. Um, I, I I can't commit to one single hamburger style, but um, <laughs> but smashing is, is and you shouldn't um, have to. No, no, no. I believe in um polyamory when it comes to hamburgers yes. <laughs> um uh yeah I, I do i do enjoy a good smashed burger you know and and the idea the idea there um and, and it's important to realize this between um smashing a burger um versus a smashed hamburger um what you don't want to do is once your burger is in the pan and it's been cooking for a while um, or it's on the grill and it's been cooking for a while you don't want to smash it then because what you're going to do is you're going to squeeze out all the juices um and they're going to evaporate and your hamburger is going to end up dry but if you smash the burger at the very beginning, while it's still uh, while the meat is still cold and before the juices and the fats have had time to sort of liquefy, mm-hmm. um, you can smash the burger and it gets really great contact with the pan. Yes. Um and, and that's really what you're after. You want you want the, the burger to basically fuse to the pan um, mm-hmm. so that you get really great browning, and that browning is what gives is what gives the burger flavor. The book
1: is hugely informative and a remarkable piece of work. It is called The Food Lab, and it is authored by Kenji Lopez Alt. At the helm uh, of Sirius Eats, of course, which we all love. And if you ever wanted to know the true answer as to why New York pizza and the bagels really are about the water or why contact lenses are the solution for tears from an onion and recipes (laughs) galore. I wish we had more time to talk about it. I'm going to make pasta with olive oil and three flavors of garlic. Kenji and I'm going to invite you back so that we can dish on the recipe. All right. From the Serious Eats superstar, the long anticipated cookbook entitled The Food lab has finally arrived check it out you can find an excerpted recipe at chef jamie.com. and of course you can follow kenji's uh, superstar science and his spectacular recipes at seriouseats.com. kenji a pleasure please do come back soon and thank you for sharing your passion thank you so much my pleasure as the delicious conversation continues there's more to learn right after this Get your culinary sights higher. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Okay. It's time to get your grill on. I know you're thinking, Jamie, it's winter, but grill masters create smoke and fire and fabulous flavor all year round. Even if it is in your parka and your Uggs and in Southern California, where I live, We do grill for all seasons, of course. So whether it's time to get your grilling rear in gear for the warmer months that are yet to come or so that you can better understand the benefits of buying a new barbecue if a new grill is in your future, well, then this conversation is for you. We are dishing today with my friend Brian Eskew of Twin Eagles Barbecues. He is a wealth of knowledge, and yes, I am a Twin Eagle eagles grill girl everybody knows that i love the beautiful design i love the extraordinary heat sources i love the solid gorgeous construction and so yes i am boasting about my twin eagles grill But we're empowering you with ideas to make you a superior griller. And I'm glad to have you back, Brian. Hi there. Thanks, Jamie. Of course. Okay. Um, Let's talk about the heat source. Because interestingly enough, we are grilling year-round and have been for many years uh, in this country. I mean, there is a a beautiful uh, art to uh, grilling and smoking. And I think those grill masters are very dedicated day in, day out. I assume that you find that with uh, Twin Eagles followers as well.
0: Absolutely the case. And we actually have a campaign with an association that we're a part of that's focused on winter grilling. Hmm. And what we find is that, you know, consumers that live in colder weather climates are not just enthusiasts, they're outright passionate individuals that focus on finding specialty winter foods and, you know, (laughs) pride themselves on digging a path through the snow to that grill to to make the most of, of that backyard experience.
1: Right. So if you're downright dedicated to grilling then this conversation is for you. But it's really for anyone, I think, that wants to better get to know their barbecue. Um, one of the newest trends, and I think the hottest trends um, that I've talked about and that continues to sort of propel itself in the grilling industry through my research, I know, is the infrared concept. And I would really like to talk about this uh, heat source for avid grillers because it's become... What I sort of equate, Brian, to the induction burner for the professional chef, right? I love an induction burner because it heats up crazy quick. As long as you have the proper cookware, you can boil water in under two minutes. And it's sort of the equivalent on the infrared side for a barbecue.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And and, and to that end, Jamie, I mean, one of the things that we see with with many uh, grill enthusiasts who are looking for a new grill, is the idea of an infrared burner is, is really top of mind. And, and one of the most important um, features in their consideration set, and, and one of the things that changed quite a bit over the last five years is infrared burners are now available in most grill models that are available. Mm-hmm. But with respect to, you know, grills that may be retailing for less than $200 all the way to those retailing for as much as $10,000. So it's a very common feature. And it's something that we find um, consumers are aware of. They may understand the technology is available, but don't always understand what it is or how to use it.
1: Okay, so let's talk about specifically what it is. It's often offered as an optional burner. Um, It goes along with a conventional gas grill, but it heats up more quickly. It does reach higher temperatures because of its um, infrared. It's radiant heat. But what I love about it most is it's very focused heat, right? It, it's the that's heat right. from the rising air that allows you to cook quickly, really high temps, great sear, a lot of good benefits.
0: That, that, that's exactly right. I mean, one of the things that we tout all the time with the infrared burner is it really gives you that quick initial sear that locks in all the natural food flavor and, and moisture. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, better than anyone, Jamie, that's really what makes great food taste great. Yeah,
1: it's called and, caramelization. And
0: one of the that, yeah. That's, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yes. So one, one, of, one of the things that, you know, I, I, I say to customers time and time again is, searing is not just for beef. It's not just for a fantastic steak. Poultry seafood. All of those foods love to be seared.
1: And anything with a water content, which means anything you're cooking, needs to have that high heat to compound the flavors, extract the moisture, but still maintain the juiciness. And I agree with you. That applies to an asparagus beer and it applies to a filet mignon or a spatchcocked chicken. Okay, Brian, more fire and smoke right after this a quick break when we come back brian eskew of twin eagles barbecue you and me chef jamie gwen don't go away the girl at the grill and oh i love the smoke fire and flames welcome back chef jamie gwen in your radio dishing with brian eskew of twin eagles barbecues there's lots of other uh wonderful sort of virtues and benefits to my twin eagles grill i love the rotisserie uh, that i wish you could have tasted it brian the recipe that we posted at um twin for the um Smoked paprika, butter, basted rotisserie chicken. Wow. It's outrageous. Didn't it look good? It did. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the, the chicken itself was so moist and juicy, not because of the infrared burner, but actually because of the rotisserie. Lots of benefits on a barbecue today where you can sort of pick and choose what's most important to you, right?
0: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, the rotisserie actually uses an infrared burner that's very similar to the infrared technology that we use in the main grill. And a quick personal story, we did a Thanksgiving turkey three years ago, and my grandmother came out to get drippings for gravy. No drippings. All the moisture was retained in the bird.
1: Okay, so what did you end up, did you use my make-ahead gravy recipe? Fortunately,
0: we didn't didn't have that. Grandma was just disappointed.
1: Okay, Grandma asked you, we can fix this. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, For those that are gearing up for the grilling season, which will be here before we know it, Um, Give us some tips as our grilling guru, please, as to what we can do to prepare. I mean, is your grill ready? What should we be doing right about now? If we're not actively grilling, you still have to maintain your barbecue year-round.
0: Yes, you do. And one of the first things that I always ask people to check is is the drip tray. Most grills, including the Twin Eagles Grill, they always have a drip tray where it's catching bits of food and drippings that have have made its way through the bottom of the firebox. You just want to be sure that that's clean Um, for sanitation purposes, one, but it also is an opportunity for a grease fire if there's kind of a long-term accumulation of, of debris and grease that have accumulated, so clean your drip tray. The other thing that we always encourage consumers to do, too, is particularly if you're using liquid propane, insects love liquid propane and they'll find their way into the burner orifices and into the burner bodies and they like to nest there. So it's always a good idea to remove your burners when the grill is cool, of course, and just be sure that there aren't any obstructions. It just be, it just helps ensure that you're getting maximum performance when you use the grill.
1: Yeah, and now is the time to check because the first, you know, beautiful day of sunshine, you know that you're going to crave that grilled steak and um, those beautiful uh, bacon roasted potatoes in a foil packet right nearby. See, I'm making myself hungry, Brian. I have this really unfortunate, <laughs> unfortunate, amazing knack to do that. Uh, not not sure why. Um, give us, before I let you go, um, a couple or um, your insight into the one newest trend we can expect to see in 2016 and beyond in the grilling world?
0: Well, I mean, I think it's kind of a combination of all things. What we're really starting to see, what consumers are asking for, and what we're trying to deliver is a tremendous amount of versatility. Um, not just, you know, a grill that's great for preparing steaks or other grilled foods, but like you mentioned earlier, the opportunity to use the rotisserie. Or other accessories that may be available, a, a drop on griddle plates. So now you're doing bacon and eggs and pancakes in That's the backyard. That's cool. So, so we, we find that at the consumer level, most grilling enthusiasts are trying to expand their culinary horizons with respect to what they can do in the backyard.
1: I don't know about you, but my Twin Eagles barbecue has the greatest heat source I've seen of any grill Brian, I am um, very delighted and proud to continue to share recipes on the Twin Eagles website. And there are grilling recipes for every season posted at TwinEaglesInc.com. And we continue to post them there, right? That's right. Okay, good. And um, we're just going to grill away and invite the warmer weather to come quick so that we can get our grill on. How's that? Awesome. That's a good plan. Well, thank you again for um, stopping back and saying hello and sharing new grilling insight. And um, we'll talk again uh, long before, but um, on the radio this summer and bring some new insightful ideas to great grilling uh, once again to food lovers everywhere. Will you come back? It's a pleasure, Jamie. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I look forward to it as well. As the delicious conversation continues, you heard it here. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. your soul every Sunday. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. So Harley Pasternak is a celebrity trainer and a nutrition expert who has worked with stars from Halle Berry to Lady Gaga to Seth Rogen to Bono. Oh, yes, he is the big time trainer. And he says that small changes can make big differences when it comes to getting in the best shape of your life. So... He's here to share some tips and tricks to help you hold on to those New Year's resolutions and to get healthy. Harley is a New York Times bestselling author whose books include The Five Factor Fitness and The Body Reset Diet, and I'm very glad you're here. Hi, Harley.
2: Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs)
1: Yes, of course. Okay, um, we've kicked off the new year. We're trying to hold on to those resolutions. Um, Share with us, if you would, your best tips to make small lifestyle changes that we can actually keep?
2: Well, I think the problem is that New Year comes along and people just want to change their whole life in one failed swoop. <laughs>
1: That's true. And
2: in the process, they end up failing. They, they become a, a raw vegan or do a juice cleanse or decide they want to run a marathon in two weeks. <laughs> um, so not only do they not have fun in the process, they, they actually get injured in the process sometimes. So I think it's key to start off simple, small steps. And this is one of my favorite, okay? Okay. Before you go to work in the morning, before you hop on the train or get in your car, Walk around the block one time. Hmm. Do the same. Walk around the block one time. Over the course of a year, you'll have done over 700 laps of the block, nearly 100 miles. You'll have added to your physical activity without taking really any time out of your life, without joining a gym. Um, And it's really setting you up for success because it's something we can all do.
1: See, I think that's really smart. And like you said, you don't have to join the gym or raise a dumbbell. To get the exercise in. Someone told me long ago, and I know it's been talked about for a long time, Harley, but you should always park in the farthest parking space in a big parking lot rather than the closest when it seems so super simple to just park right up front and run in. And I do, I'm very conscious of it. I do make an effort to park farther away and just enjoy the walk. I read a really interesting article online that you um, had written for Yahoo, and it was about a spring reboot actually um so we're a little early for it but about sort of life uh fitness goals and you say walk 5 miles a day and i have to say i've been trying and committing to doing that as well it does make a big difference and it's a, a slow steady build for results i'm actually seeing it now and my husband and i have been doing it for quite a while
2: that's great yeah i mean uh, you know the intimidation factor of having to learn new exercises with heavy weights but- right and, and and the financial commitment to exercise is something that we don't really all need to undertake, at least not right away. And, and I think just chronically moving from the moment we wake up to going to bed is important. But also, hey, they say abs are made in the kitchen, and that is the truth. So <laughs> eating right is a very big part of it. Yes.
1: And you know you have a bunch of foodies listening here. So um, give us some ideas, if you would, for your best choices for snacks You know, during crazy times and busy weeks. and. Uh, hectic schedules.
2: I think snacking is smart is important because if you go th- too long in the day without eating, your your appetite gets ravenous. Mealtime comes around, you make bad decisions over what to eat, over how much to eat. Right. Um, your your energy levels fluctuate and your metabolism slows down. So look for snacks that are good quality protein sources, fiber. Um, examples would be hummus with veggies, I'm sure. You could probably make a homemade taste a lot better than I do <laughs> um, as a chef. Uh, uh, look for strained yogurt. Strained yogurts are thicker. They're higher in protein, uh, maybe with some berries on top. And not all yogurts are created equal, so uh, a lot of added sugar. Mm-hmm. Look for Siggy's yogurt. It's the lowest sugar-flavored yogurt in the market. And, um, and also maybe an apple or a pear, some seasonal fruit with edible skin or edible seeds. With a palm full of almonds, I think it makes for a great snack as well.
1: Spell the yogurt, please, would you?
2: S i g g i apostrophe s.
1: Thank you, Siggy's s i g g i. I just read an interesting piece of very anti-yogurt. In fact, that it was one of the you know few foods like um, diet soda and a couple of others that have so much hidden sugar you'd never actually believe it. So the recommendation for the lowest sugar yogurt on the market, I think is really valuable. Siggy's, S-I-G-G-I-S. They're they're not
2: wrong. The article is, for the most part, most of the yogurts on the market are really loaded with sugar, and I think that's an issue. Um, And a lot of them, especially the non-strained yogurts, aren't even that high in protein. So something like a Siggy's yogurt, which is really high in protein, calcium, vitamin D, low in sugar. And if you look at the healthiest countries in the world, the countries with the longest lifespans, lowest diabetes, heart disease, Mm -hmm. uh, fittest countries, most of them are dairy-based, diet. Aside from Japan, Sweden, Finland, Norway, uh, these are all countries that uh, that dairy and strained yogurt are a key component. Uh, Greece, the Mediterranean diet, Spain, um, can really be a, a great ingredient to have in your diet to help you be fit and reduce your chance of any disease.
1: Having helped shape some of today's hottest bodies, he is America's most sought-after diet and fitness expert. He is Harley Pasternak. And you can learn more, find delicious recipes using his favorite Siggy's yogurt, which I'm really glad to know about, um, and find his fitness tips galore at Harley, H-A-R-L-E-Y, Pasternak, dot kcom Harley, come back soon and um, give us some quick tips before bathing suit season, would you? I'd love that. Thanks for having me. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. And I'm serving up my last bite. It is National Peanut Butter Day today. So why not honor the holiday by mixing up a batch of peanut butter fudge? It's easy to make and it certainly satiates your sweet tooth. And if you eat just one small piece, you won't feel too guilty about breaking that New Year's resolution. For my easy peanut butter fudge, all you need is is two cups of granulated white sugar, a half a cup of milk, a cup of smooth peanut butter, and a teaspoon of vanilla extract. You grease an eight-by-eight-inch baking pan. You bring the sugar and milk to a boil, and then you stir in the peanut butter and the vanilla until smooth. Then you simply pour the mixture into the pan and allow it to cool, and then you cut it into squares, and you have made... Super simple peanut butter fudge. You can make the fudge dairy free, by the way, by using coconut milk in place of cow's milk. And you will find the ingredients, measurements, and technique posted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. You'll find me serving up seconds as well at ChefJamie.com where you'll find podcasts of this program And I hope to meet you here next Sunday for more gastronomic pleasure. I thank you for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well.